This, this, this is you. K U T. K U T. Austin. Stop. I used to get. And welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome back. Well, thank you. It is always fun to be on campus. There's just a feel of... Energy and excitement. I mean, kind of the and thinking and thinking um, and that atmosphere has gotten me thinking in the past about something I want to talk about today. Okay, you know, I was a student decades ago. Not as long as I've been a student back (laughs) when I was in school. This was pre-digital, pre-internet, pre-web. We barely had computers, believe it or not, on Mm -hmm. campus. So. You know, we carried books or we went to the library, (laughs) we talked to each other, but we didn't have this constant inflow of social media on smartphones and being able to just find information, you know, literally at our fingertips, as they say. Having that now, I'm wondering if there's (laughs) such a thing as learning too much or having too much to learn Or I guess the real question is what it means for learning that there is just so much out there. You know, we talk about lifelong learning all the time, and that's certainly a good thing. But I mean, come on, we got we got to set limits, don't we? Absolutely. Although I would argue that you're not using the right word. I mean, so to me, uh, is it possible to learn too much? Learning to me is a way of being. It's a mindset. It's a practice. And so... I don't think that we can learn too much. Now, we can be, we can be facing, we can be over, overly stimulated by, by facts or news or feelings or emotions, and we can be overly stimulated by things. But to me, that's different than learning. Learning is about how do you understand deeply. This is about information overload, and I think this is an enormous problem. What's interesting to me is where I think those two things meet. So let's say, for example, you know, I'm not super active on social media, but I am on Twitter. And so let's say I see a tweet and it's about a national and international news story. And I see, you know, a lot of tweets about it. I may try to sort of delve into that a little bit and try to learn something about it, either the place where it's happening or the people involved or the issue at hand. But I can't do that with every single tweet that I see. I mean, it seems to me that I've got to, and anybody who does this has to sort of exercise some kind of gatekeeping or judgment about when do you dive in and and try to learn more and when do you just keep going to the next, the next post, the next tweet, the next nugget. I mean, in some sense, it really is kind of gossip uh, gone amok. That's exactly what it is. And we're all so, we want to know everything. We want to know all, and we want to be the first to know it, and we want to be in there. And and I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, You know, question is, with that information, what would you do with it, and and do you need to have it? I think I mentioned on a previous episode a while back that I had the opportunity to um, speak with Bob McNamara. And he mentioned, he said there, there there were three occasions 
while he was in uh, the White House under the Kennedy administration and then under the Johnson administration, there were three occasions where we were on the very precipice for a world war. World War Three was right about to start. And, and I said, let me see if I can guess. And so I guessed the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was an obvious one. I think anyone from our generation or back would, would immediately guess that. Took me a little while, but I said the uh, Berlin Wall, because he was there for that. And he said, that's right. And for the life of me, I could not think of what the third one was, which turns out to be the, the six-day war between um, Israel and Egypt. And he said that, you know, that ended in six days, we know now, but during those six days, they were watching uh, Russian troops bring in machinery, and if that were the case, then the Americans would have to come in, and all of a sudden, there'd be this global conflict. And he said, but most people didn't realize how close we were. And in today's world, I wonder, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder how much we actually know. Certainly, I don't wonder about how much we need to know because a lot of these things we can't do anything about. It just causes us anxiety. But if there's this desire to be the first one on your block or the first one on your feed to, to put this out and to have breaking news. And the truth is, it's not clear that it's good for us individually or even collectively as a society to know things that we just can't do anything about or with. You're posing the questions, what to do with information that we receive and do we need to know it? Those are fascinating questions that I'm not sure we apply to this influx very often, especially what do we do with it? Because often, at least in my experience is the information comes in and I take it in and I think about it and I might tell somebody and then I may not even remember it the next day. Right. And, and here you are. I mean, you're a person whose, whose vocation is about the news, right? And so, you know, you can imagine what an ordinary person, how they, how they process that information. And I think that people want to be in the know. I mean, they don't, you know, we have a press. But the question is, how helpful is it to know everything? And, and what Bob McNamara's point was is, that maybe it's okay for people not to know that we were, you know, this close to World War III because then you'd live your life in a different way. You'd be exhausted. And in some sense, that's where we are today because we know so much. How can we learn a gatekeeping function? Because it seems to me that now the, the burden and the onus is on us because there's so much information out there and it's just coming at us. We have to plug the holes and stop the, the flow from time to time. How do we learn how to filter this stuff and how to filter out, I guess, more appropriately? Because we have to have some some sort of system for, okay, I'm not going to pay attention to that. Not relevant. Otherwise, we would just be drowning. And I think, it's, I think it's all about balance. It's all about a mindful balance of what one needs to know to be a good citizen of the world and balance that with what I need to know to kind of get through my life. For individuals who are actually solutions-focused and want to make positive contributions to their communities, sometimes thinking abstractly uh, is not as effective as being concrete. So you want to talk about poverty, let's talk about poverty. But what can you do about the poverty within your community right now within blocks from you, and rather than thinking about this abstract construct of poverty in, in a state or poverty in a nation or poverty in the world, which is way too big. And so having all those stories, those painful stories, is not going to be as effective as saying, okay, let me think about what I can do here and then move from that state. So it's all about balance. I have had a lot of my mind occupied uh, the past stretch of time with a puzzler. Oh, it was a real, it was a really it challenging, was challenging one, wasn't it? It was challenging. And I've, 
And of course, you solved it. Well, I can't say that. Let me remind the, but, the yeah, listeners tell us what, what it was. It was a complicated one, and I apologize in advance. But you have to imagine an endless chessboard. So if you if you're mathematically inclined, think of the kind of the X Y plane, but but with squares, and every other one is black and 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 white. So every black square is surrounded by four adjacent white squares, and every white square is a is um, surrounded by four adjacent black squares. And the challenge is that you're going to write a a positive whole number on each square. So those are the numbers that – that's the collection of numbers that begin 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and so forth. You're going to want to write a positive whole number on each square with the property that if you uh, – the number that you write on a black square must equal the average of the four adjacent white squared numbers. So for example, suppose that you are on a square – that is surrounded by four squares, and their numbers are one, nine, four, and six. Well, if you average those numbers, if you add them all up, you get 20, and you divide by four, you get five, which means that the the number on your square needs to be a five. The question is, can you uh, write um, numbers on each and every square of this endless chessboard, che- uh, chessboard so that uh, all the numbers have this property that that the number that's on your square is equal to the average of the of the four adjacent numbers. All right, so I'm just going to boldly state no. Okay, good. And what I did was to get to no, I thought, well, uh, what I need is an example because okay. if this is an endless chessboard, uh, there's no way I can literally figure this out. So I I just picked two. Th- I said two, three, four, five. I'm just going to call. So I've got a black square surrounded by four white ones. And the, the, in the white squares, it's 2, 3, 4, 5. So if you average 2, 3, 4, 5, you get 3.5. And that is not a whole number. That's correct, which, so, which means that those four cannot right. be surrounding a square, but right. there are other numbers to choose from. See, this is where I started getting confused because there are, I don't have to tell you, Ed, there are a lot of numbers. (laughs) There are. And so what I started thinking was, so I thought, okay, so I'm going to go from small example to mega example. Right. But if you can't even get off the the dime on the small example. So I thought what you just said, which is, yeah, but those are just those four numbers. There's so many others to pick from. But I started thinking, I don't see how you could not run into the situation with other numbers of having the average be not a whole number. So right. I'm going to I'm going to stick with my no, but okay. I understand that it may not be firmly grounded in the data. But I love your thinking and and what I really uh, appreciate is that this does offer us an opportunity to think about a much more basic thing, which is always how you start. This is a very complicated question. When we're faced with complicated puzzles or challenges in our lives, we should try to figure out something easier. Break it down. And so what I like about your example, five, two, three, four, is that they're all different. So that just raises a basic question. Uh, is it possible that we can, we can number the, the squares this way with different numbers? Now, let's go back to my example, which actually did work. Let me remind everybody that what we were doing there, we surrounded ourselves with one nine four, and six, and then the average was five. So that means that center, that center number was five. Mm-hmm. Now, let's take a look at the one and the five that are adjacent squares. Uh-huh. And now let's focus on the one as the center of four squares, one of them being five, and we don't know what the other ones are. Now, if the average is going to be one, and I know that one of the numbers is five. Yeah, that doesn't work. Then I need a number that's really small to pull down the five so the average is going to end up being one. But since I talked about positive 
whole numbers, right. it turns out that we're going to always get into a problem. The problem being that once you have two numbers that are different, for example, you have five and two, eventually the numbers have to get smaller and smaller in one direction, and you're going to hit upon the smallest mm-hmm. you can get, which is one, and therefore it can't be done. So what we just discovered is that it can't be done with different numbers. I was just going to say, though, listening to you speak, it would work if every square has the same number. So if they were all ones or all one millions. And that is the answer. That That is cool. The only way to, so it can be done. And the only way to do it is to have the same number in every single one of this endless chessboard of squares. And then the average, of course, is going to always equal itself because all the numbers are the same. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. And actually, it's also a cool example, really, of what we've been talking about, which is, you know, so we're talking about sort of information overload and information flow and how to sort of filter out and, and focus and really learn. There's a lot going on in this puzzler because, as we've said, there are lots of numbers. So right. to be able to actually even begin to think about it, you do have to sort of go, I'll say, small and lean. Yep. Sort of what's a very basic possible example of this and how do we sort of build up from there? One of the practices that we talk about in effective thinking is this notion of seeking the essential and ignoring the the din of noise. And boy, uh, in our in our everyday lives of, of uh, social media, that could not be more useful. But not only understanding simple things deeply and creating new questions, but actually focusing on the essential and letting the other stuff take a back seat, at least for now. All right. So, Ed, to wrap up here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play um, Southwestern University student who comes to President Berger's office hours and says, President Berger, you said um, seeking the essentials, but how do I know what's essential? That is the challenge of one's (laughs) lifelong journey through education is to determine what is essential and what is not. And and you have to bring a wisdom to that. You have to bring uh, a heart to that. Uh, It's not something that's necessarily an intellectual thing, but it involves how you have created yourself. It involves you to bring that filter to say, I believe this is what's essential. And, and you might be wrong. We talk about failure all the time. And in which case you immediately say, okay, well, I was wrong there. So now let me try this as the essential. Rather than taking all the stimulation in at once, going through it mindfully one at a time and figuring out where the es- essential elements live. These days also, just to wrap up, it might involve a little unbucking the trend because right now, as far as information is concerned, it seems like more is better. The more I have, the more I have access to, the more I can tell you that I know, the better, right? That's right. And I would argue that uh, that sometimes just a little bit can go a long way. Well, Ed, thank you for helping us understand a lot and a little. Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can always find out more at southwestern.edu. And you can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at KUT.org. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News.